The John Campia Show, in association with Designing Hollywood, presents... Welcome to the Designing Hollywood Podcast. I am your host, Robert Meyer Burnett. The Designing Hollywood Podcast is dedicated to all things movies, the movie industry, and its talented professionals. Today's episode is sponsored by the United American Costume Company. And today's guest is an Emmy Award-winning makeup artist for film and television earning her six Guild Award nominations and two wins next to the 11 Emmy noms and one win. Amazing. She has been working in television and film for over 30 years, helping to create both the non-prosthetic and prosthetic makeup for some of the most well-known shows. She's created looks from everything from Star Trek Enterprise to Nip Tuck to The Practice to Felicity to The Gilmore Girls, Mad Men, House of Lies, Castle, and my beloved Twin Peaks. Her work in film includes The Hunger Games, Catching Fire, and Mockingjay Part 2, A Star is Born, Pitch Perfect 1, and that changed the trajectory of her whole career. After graduating from UCLA, her focus was to become a costume designer for film and television, but after her first project in the costume department, she realized she had a huge passion for makeup, especially special effects makeup. She enrolled in makeup school and then started at Roger Corman Studios as a makeup artist. <laughs> she has said in a previous interview, she chooses projects that allow her to tell stories through the beauty of makeup. And without further ado, and I'm, I'm going to geek out in this interview, so I warn all of you listening now, <laughs> and I, I want to say this to Debbie, without further ado, please welcome Emmy Award winning Debbie Zoller to the Designing Hollywood podcast. It is so great to have you here, and I'm I'm sorry. There's so many things you've worked on. I'm going to turn into a big nerd in this yeah. interview. Well, thank that's... you for having me. <laughs> it's so good to have you. Uh, I mean, I have so many questions, but I first want to start out. I have to mention, since Marilyn Vance is one of the executive producers and creators of this podcast, you actually did her makeup for a magazine cover that we use uh, to promote the show. Did you not? Right. Well, the Costume Design Guild puts out a magazine, I believe it's four times a year. And uh, Anna Wyckoff and Salvador Perez asked me if I would come and do makeup for the covers of the magazines with all the mm. different costume designers. And I was honored to do it. I, I love doing it. I've got to you know meet so many of the costume designers that I ultimately end up working with as well. So it's really an honor to be involved with that. Well, that I, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, talk to you without mentioning that, you know? Little, yeah. Uh, well, and Marilyn's she's amazing. She's a legend. She is such a legend. I mean, that's how I wound up on uh, doing this podcast in the first place was I was, I was just like, Oh my God, you're the Marilyn Vance. Right. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. But exactly. I, you know, we were talking a little bit before the interview started, and I'm curious, how did you find yourself, obviously, in the industry? When I first moved to L.A. and got out of film school, the point was to either get a job working for Roger Corman or across mm -hmm. the city working for Charlie Band. Right. And and <laughs> on, you know, low budget genre pictures, which was the, the way to go. How did you how did you get into the business and was it something you always wanted to do? And how did you find yourself uh, at Corman? Um, for me, it was, it was really an accident. I don't, I don't really have those stories of, you know, I wanted to be a makeup artist since I was five years old. Um, I went to UCLA and 
I, many of my classes were in North Campus, which is where the film students would hang out. And I met a bunch of them and had classes with them. I took a makeup class and I really enjoyed it. And many of the students in there who were film students asked if I would come and help them with costumes and paint sets and do their student projects. And so I just started getting involved in that just for fun. And when I gra- after I graduated college, one of my friends from UCLA had called and said, hey, I'm associate producing this really low budget movie. We'll basically pay you $1.18 an hour. Do you want to come and do it? And I said, sign me up. So I, you know, you don't know any better. So of course you do it. You just say yes. The door yeah. opens and you walk through. And I did. And that really uh, started me off on, on my career. But I originally thought I wanted to become a costume designer. And after doing that film, it was, uh, it was called Survival Quest. And we were filming in the Angeles National Crest Forest. And after doing that film, I realized how much I enjoyed doing makeup and special effects makeup as opposed to doing costume. I really more had a passion for doing uh, makeup. And I, I think because I had to do laundry every night for all the actors and uh, dealing with some of the things you would find in their clothes, um, which I don't want to get too graphic. Um, well, I just I decided to go a different direction. I, I would be remiss uh, if I did not mention that this ball, the from Phantasm, the Silver Sphere, was from the great Don Cos- Coscarelli's Don Phantasm saga, and he directed Survival Quest. Yes, he did. And he still managed to maintain. He's one of the nicest men that uh, I've met in the industry. So I still follow him. He's on Facebook, and he's still. He's still very much out there, very much a part of this industry. I, I really, uh, I, I really enjoyed working with him. Yeah, I mean, he, he's been great. And he's, he truly is an independent maverick. He's, mm-hmm. he's managed to stay to keep his independence, which right. I think is, is great. And he, his later stuff, like even John dies at the end, is, is a lot of fun. Right. Um. Right. So but from there, I went to Corman and stayed there for, I think, eighteen months. Wow. Now, yeah. when, you, when you were at Corman, what did you what did you work on? Did you work on anything? Oh, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, I wish I'd been prepared. Um, there was one called Deadly Dreams. Um, uh, Saturday, the 14th. Yep. That's what I was going to, you know. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. Uh, I wish I could remember the names. This is going back 30 years. No, now. it's great, though. I mean, it's so, and when you were working at Corman. Um, uh, what was that environment like? I mean, you know, you probably didn't have enough money or, or enough time, but was it exhilarating? Right. It was. And all of the people that passed through there, the people that I worked with, Janusz Kaminski, Faden Papa Michael, uh, Mauro Fiore, uh, wow. John Winfrey, who's a producer, Adam Moss, who is a producer at Sony, his uh, wife now, Angela Moss, who's also a makeup artist, I still see all these people. I still talk to all these people. Yeah. Um, many of the actresses and actors that I met at that time, I still have you know relationships with. Um, it was a very special time to be working at Roger Corman. You had mm-hmm. no time. You had no money. 
So you just had to figure it out on the fly. And like, I learned that blood freezes, fake blood freezes over 3000 feet. So when you're doing a rig and with a slit neck and you're pumping the blood and you're over 3000 feet, it doesn't want to pump the same. So these are all things that you learn on, you know, while you're working. So it was the best school for people behind the scenes that did not go to film school. Right. So that was our film school. Yeah. And it was trial by fire. I mean, I, yes. I sort of had the same experience, but at Charlie yes. Band on the other side of the hill. Right. right. Without the, we didn't have the beach. Right. <laughs> Couldn't walk but, to the beach. You know, I so respect Roger and Julie, his wife. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know where would my, where my career would be if I hadn't started there. Right. And yeah, I mean, the stuff you learned, uh, you can't, you can't learn anywhere else. Right. I mean, that's now I've got to ask just because I see these, these, the films that you've done. And, and, and if I didn't ask about things like poison Ivy, which was Aww. come on a video staple people that was on cable. I probably saw that movie a hundred yeah. times. Cat yeah. <laughs> Shea yeah. directed it. And um, I know. And her husband. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if that you, was, that was a great experience. I mean, if you look at who was in poison Ivy, the cast, mm -hmm. Leonardo DiCaprio, Cheryl Ladd, Tom Skerritt, Drew Barrymore, Sarah mm -hmm. Gilbert. Um, what was it like working on on a on a film like that with all people that? I mean, I guess Cheryl Ladd had been Charlie uh, Charlie's Angel, and Tom right. Skerritt had been in Top Gun and and Alien. But you know, Drew Barrymore and Sarah Gilbert and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio were all on the rise. Their stars were all on the rise. Right. Any? Uh, did you enjoy working on 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 a movie like that? A, oh, a, a it was, cult it was favorite. Fantastic. Yeah, it was a brilliant. It was, it was so much fun, and you didn't realize at the time like what we were actually making, and you didn't think it would become this like cult film that it that it did. But it was great. It was really great, and I think Sarah just came out. Uh, on an interview with with Drew Barrymore on her show, that that was her first female kiss. Oh, so it was a very you know it was a very special moment. These girls were you know sixteen years old, seventeen years old, yeah, and really, I just felt like you know more of a mother in that <laughs> respect, just trying to take care of them and protect right. them. So. Well, you know, to that end, I've often working in film, I've often said to people that some of the key hires on any movie, and you cannot take this for granted, are hair and makeup people. Yeah. Because that's your first line as a producer, that's your first line of defense. Your actors, cost, uh, hair and makeup and costume have to have great relationships with actors because the actors don't want to worry about how they look. And when you have a great makeup artist, uh, an actor's job, is half of it you're helping them out i wonder if you could sort of speak to sort of the philosophy of of being a makeup artist and and what is it like i guess you're part therapist part rembrandt right you know it's it's all of the above because it's the trust issue you know when an actor or an actress sits down in my chair i have to gain that trust within the first five minutes mm of having them sit there. If they feel like they don't trust me and can count on me to help them build their character, 
then I've kind of lost them for the rest of the show. So it's really important to me to have a relationship and, and to have them participate in building their character along with the costume designers, because the costume designer sets the tone. They meet them before we do. Mm. They set the color palettes. They meet, you know, with the DP as well, prior to us being even involved. But I tell my story through makeup. So every character that I design, I'm fitting my elements into what the elements of a costume designer, the DP, the director, and the actor have already discussed. Mm -hmm. So it's a very collaborative effort. But in the same respect, it's not even about the makeup that I put on. It's how you come in in the morning every day. You're the first person they see every day. So you have to have a, you know, a good attitude, a good spirit. Sometimes you have music playing in the trailer that they like, that they request. Yeah. Sometimes they don't want music at all. And you have to read the room and kind of respect how they come into their character. Right. So all of those elements, you know, like with Poison Ivy, those girls, like I said, they were so young, you know, I had to, it was more of a therapist, mother, caretaker, you know, uh, cheerleader in that respect um, to get them to set and to make them feel comfortable. Mm. Do you have, I guess, what are some of the tricks of the trade like when you see somebody, do you look at their complexion first? How does a makeup artist begin to design <laughs> for an actor? Where, where do you where do you start? Wow. Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think everyone, you know, has a, a different approach of how they come to it. But I I will read the script uh, strictly in the beginning just for pure enjoyment so that I can let my juices start flowing in, mm. a, in you know, respect. Then I go back and I start to break it down and I start to see the characters arcs and see what they're bringing to the table. And I start to design it so that I'm telling a story before they've even spoken a word. So when you first see a character on screen, you kind of have an idea like, oh, this person has, you know, tattoos. You kind of know, okay, well, maybe they're, you know, more street than they are, you know, worldly or, you know, sure. you, you have these different ad adjectives that you want to describe them. And so, I'm, you know, subconsciously, I'm telling people who this character is before they've even said anything. And the same with costumes. Costume, I follow a lot of what the you know, their color palette. And, you know, if they're completely covered in long sleeves, then I can't put a tattoo on them. Right. But, you know, so we discuss things like that. So it really helps to design a character having the knowledge of what the designer is doing. Now you, you obviously, I, makeup artists tend to work with the same, I mean, actors, they develop relationships with them. You had a longstanding relationship with Danny Aiello. Right, right. How, how, I mean, one of my favorite, one of my favorite actors, I mean, he was, he always classed up the joint. I mean, whenever you saw him, 
what a what a what an amazing performer how did that relationship uh begin where did you first meet him and well i met him through kim delaney who i met at corman i did a movie with her uh called the drifter there's another one yeah (laughs) and um um and kim was married to joe cortezzi who is really good friends with danny aiello and they were doing a film out here a non-union movie and joe introduced me to danny and that's how i ended up working with danny for so long and I was strictly doing, you know, both his makeup and his hair. It was just easier. And I became very good friends with his wife, uh, Sandy, and the kids and the grandkids. And it was a very longstanding relationship, which, um, you know, some Danny's not easy and sometimes was his own worst enemy in certain cases, but aren't we all? And, uh, but I'm, I'm really grateful because he, he believed in me before I believed in myself as a makeup artist. Sure. And I think just having that support, I felt like maybe, you know, I made the right choice that of careers. Yeah. I mean, he, it's funny. One of the movies that you, you worked on um, two days in the Valley right. that he he was in is another one of these films with an, I mean, in the wake of, 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 Tarantino's Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs everybody wanted to do sort of these Tarantino-esque films and and one of my favorites is Two Days in the Valley but the cast I mean you look at these uh, everybody Danny Aiello but Jeff Daniels and Terry Hatcher and Peter Horton and Marsha Mason Paul Mazursky James Spader who I can never get enough of Charlie Theron Keith Carradine and Louise Fletcher Mm -hmm. Uh, when you work on a movie like that um did you were you ever like wow i'm surrounded by unbelievable mountains of talented people here <laughs> what is it like when you're when you're a makeup artist like that are are you ever starstruck yes but you can't let on that you are <laughs> right <laughs> um I, I think that's one of the biggest things as a makeup artist that you have to try and control that. I think, you know, working with the caliber of actors that I've worked with in my career, you know, Lady Gaga, um, you know, especially Lady Gaga, you have to be really, really careful uh, mm-hmm. not to, you know, get to a point where they, they feel uncomfortable um, because you're a fan. Right. So that's something that you really have to curtail somehow on your own. I do have to say um, the one time I was working, it was North and South part three and Peter O'Toole came into my trailer and my knees were knocking and I loudly. (laughs) And I was just, you know, it was such an honor to work with him and I needed to do something to relax. And I had, at that time, I had a dartboard put up at one end of the tra- of the makeup and hair trailer. And he came in with his Galois cigarette and he, he was like, so here, who plays darts? And I was like, I do. And he's like, let's play. And yeah, said, he's a Brit. You're going to, you're going to. Yes. And I said, okay. And so we played darts before I even put his makeup on. Wow. Which 
was great because I, I felt so like much more calm than, you know, if he had just sat down in my chair because he is such a living legend. Oh man. Yeah. Um, uh, so I, I find that the relationships that you have with talent, like you said, that they have to, that they have to trust you once they do that and they keep, do you get hired by them? Like did Danny Aiello, how does that work? Do they have to build in? Does an actor build you into their deal? Or do you have yes, to go to the producer? Many times, many times I'm in an actor's contract or in other cases, like I work with Rebel Wilson. Um, she'll just request me. I'm not part of the contract where other times you will be in an actor's contract. It just, you know, it just depends on the situation. Um, actors get certain perks. So, you know, they can ask for certain things, which is really nice. And it helps ease their tension coming into a project if they know they have their makeup artist, they have their hairstylist that they're comfortable with, they have their costumer that they're comfortable with. Um, all of those things help an actor when they get to set to know that they're going to be taken care of and they don't have to worry about mm -hmm. any of those things except be an actor. Right, right, which is part of your job. Right. You know, to alleviate those things. Now, you've worked in both special effects makeup and then uh, what would you call it? Actor makeup. There's a word. What would beauty. you do? Yeah. We, beauty, we call beauty, it beauty and special Be effects. Beauty yeah. and special effects. Yeah. Could you talk a little bit about the differences between the two so people sort of understand? Because I think a lot of people don't. Um, sure. Um, basically, to be a makeup artist in the union, you have to, you know, have a certain amount of uh, experience and responsibilities, and then you have to apply and you have to have a certain amount of hours. So for years, you work towards getting into our union. And to be a well-rounded makeup artist, the demands of a show are usually uh, beauty makeup for both men and women, um, men more so with grooming, you know, beards, mustaches, you know, things like that. Um, sometimes you have to be able to put a beard on. So that still falls under, uh, beauty, mm -hmm. but we also do, you know, cuts, bruises, prosthetics. Um, you, you have to know all of it. So I think in the very beginning, when I first started people, uh, we're kind of surprised that a female likes to do special effects makeup. And I really enjoy it because I came from, you know, the horror genre mm -hmm. and, you know, where people were getting slashed and, you know, beat up and, um, you know, sliced open and things like that. And I love that. And I remember the writers on Castle would watch me read a script every episode because there was always like the dead body du jour. And so they would watch me and I would be like reading it. And as soon as I got to the dead body, my face would light up, they said. So <laughs> then they started like writing more because they knew what we could deliver in both the beauty aspect and the special effects aspect. So it's a really important thing to be able to you know, talk about 
beauty and create a look for both men and women, but at the same time, be able to go that extra distance and do uh, facial hair, you know, prosthetic work and working with all the labs. Like, I think you worked at Tony Gardner's. Yes, I worked at Alterian Studios. Yeah, Right. And so I would go into the labs and talk with the sculptors and saying, you know, approving this is what I want. And they then they would take, you know, my requests and they would create it. So it's a really important thing to be able to uh, mesh the two of those together. Right. Absolutely. And you've worked on a lot of of really, really prestigious genre entertainment. And I think it, it sort of brings me to obviously you have a longstanding relationship with director David Lynch. Right. And his movies frequently have interesting beauty makeup but also some really interesting right. Right. effects makeup right. how did you come to work on on lost highway how did you you meet david lynch and um what what was that relationship like and and how does a makeup artist interact with a director well interestingly enough patricia norris uh the costume designer and production designer that works for david interviewed me and she and I got along famously, which is how I ended up getting hired on Lost Highway. And I miss Patricia uh, immensely. She, she was an amazing force to be reckoned with. And I learned so much from her that uh, I just kept, you know, the relationship with David and I loved working with David. He is so, as an artist, can talk to another artist in a way that most directors uh, haven't quite figured out yet. So David and I can talk on a different level than I would normally on, you know, with other directors because there's, you know, actors, directors, there's creative directors, there's technical directors. As So as a makeup artist, I have to figure out very quickly the best way to communicate with a director mm. uh, of whichever project that I'm working on and working with David, it's definitely the artistic side. Yeah. I mean, and, and of course, you know, you did work on, on Twin Peaks and, mm. and uh, it, I can only imagine it has to have been a hoot to work with him. It is, it is. And to see people who haven't worked with him before come in <laughs> and be in his presence, I actually get the biggest chuckle out of it because <laughs> I remember those days, you know, and, sure. and um, but every day working with him is such a blessing. And I would be sitting on set on, on Twin Peaks, the return. And I would look around and I would see all these people, you know, in their phones, you know, and I, and I'm like, boy, are you missing out on the gold? You, know, you, <laughs> you should basically be putting your phone away and just, you know, absorbing the atmosphere because the way David works is, is not normal. You know, it's, it's very unusual. He used to play music before each scene on Lost Highway. So we knew what the tempo and the theme of that particular scene was. Now on Twin Peaks, The Return, he did it in his own headphones. So we weren't necessarily privy to it because that was, it was a very hush hush project, uh, the return. So um, we, I didn't even have a script 
I was not allowed to have one. I would sit. Wow. Yeah. I would sit at David's house and read the script. So did that ever interfere with your prep or knowing what you were supposed to do? I uh, asked if I could take notes because I needed to have some kind of an idea for continuity. And Sabrina, his producer said, yes, I could take notes, but it had to be almost like hieroglyphics. Like if somebody happened to, like if I lost my notebook, if somebody had happened to pick it up (laughs) and read it, that they weren't allowed to know. So I had to write everything in code. Wow. Yeah. And then we had a safe in the trailer, the production trailer with a script in it that was, you know, behind lock key, the whole thing. And if I needed to check a reference for something, I had to get permission to go into the safe, get the script, look at, open the script, look at my note, look at the notes, compare my notes and then that person would put the script back in the safe. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that I can, I, I can only, you know, obviously there's a lot of interest in that show and they don't want to give anything away. So I can right. understand, I right. think with, with, and I'm, I consider myself part of the reason that that kind of happens because I, you know, I'm one of the, I'm a raving fanboy. So to find out any scrap of information, <laughs> we'll we'll want to find that out which is why they have to hide scripts from people like me right well there and you are one of many so <laughs> yeah, especially with twin peaks i right. mean right. and and watching that watching that show unfold was was a, a tremendous joy because right. boy you just never knew it was going to happen no i so. know it was such an honor to be a part of that well you've worked both in television and film i mean some of the TV shows you worked on, not just Twin Peaks, but you also worked on Mad Men, which is one of the great TV shows of all time. Now that had to have been fun with all of the this the the make, especially the 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 women, you know that '60s vibe, and even the guys. They all was that a was that a fun show for you to work on? Yeah, the first season was amazing because it was so new and nobody knew about it yet, right. and all of these actors, you know, I didn't know any of them at the, at the beginning. The only one I knew was uh, Brian Batt, who I had worked with on a movie called Jeffrey in New York with Patrick Stewart. Yeah. And the production manager called me and said, uh, we're doing this, this show for AMC. I didn't even know what AMC was at the time. (laughs) And you know, I remember it showed, you know, classic films, but I didn't know that they were doing their own programming. And he listed off all the actors, you know, John Hamm, January Jones. I didn't know any of these people. The very last person he said was Brian Bat, And I said, I'll take it. And he said, you're going to take it because of Brian Bat." And I said, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and he was great in it, too. Yeah. I mean, it's, when you're working on on a, something like a Mad Men, do you do a lot of research? Like, oh, did the you research go... is is the most important thing. You have to have that research on hand, especially with Matt Weiner, the director, producer, writer. He was very focused on making sure that everything that was put in front of that camera was true to period. 
So I was, you know, always showing him designs and um, advertisements from magazines like Life and, and you know, some of the other uh, magazines of the 50s and 60s. I did quite a bit of research. A lot of the research actually, though, came from my, my own family. Um, going back, you know, with my parents and looking at their, their photo albums, mm. um, my brothers and sisters who were, you know, much older than me, uh, who you know had pictures from the 50s and 60s so it it was actually uh for all of us quite a personal uh experience i had talked to matt about one of the scenes that he was doing with january and the uh young girl that plays her daughter and i told him a story of uh, mrs pitzer who was uh, a babysitter of mine locked me in the closet when I was not being very good. And my mother never believed me, but she would, Mrs. Pitzer would lock me in the closet until, you know, and so finally I just got so quiet in there. I cut all the buttons off of the coats in the closet. And cause it was also a sewing closet along with the, you know, the coats that were hanging in there. Sure. And I would cut all the buttons off and sew the buttons on different coats. And that was something that Matt thought was hysterical and he wrote it into Mad Men. Yeah. So. Wow. Now, do you prefer working on a t- television series or do you like movies or are they both as equally? Uh, for you? you know, they, they provide you with different things. So I think that's why I enjoy going back and forth. Um, you know, movies have a different vibe to them. They're, the pace isn't as fast. Um, right. The problem is, is that now they're packing so much into, you know, every film that you do feel like the pace has has sped up that matches an episodic television show. Right. Uh, but, you know, usually they don't do as many pages a day on films. But um, now, especially with streaming, it's they're kind of getting to the point where they're, they're more similar than they are not. Right. Right. Especially because the streaming shows are becoming more and more elaborate and they're shot, they're shot more cinematically. Um, And now every film has a deal with a streaming service, I think because of COVID. And if people don't want to go into a theater, they've, you know, upgraded their own home theaters to yes. a point where, you know, they have their their chairs that lean back and they their huge screen TVs and they enjoy the experience just as much as going to a theater. Did the the switch, I mean obviously you worked in TV, but did the switch now from film to digital capture technology, did that pose a problem for you? Did you have a transitional period I I worked on uh, Superman Returns, which was one of the first films that was they used the Genesis cameras and right. Tom Siegel, the director of photography, had to do a lot of tests to see because yes. color looked just different and makeup. It was a big issue. Everything um, looked different on digital. There was a big learning curve and the DPs and makeup, we were all in it together. Uh, there's a, a DP that I've worked with for years named Darren Akuda and he 
was one of the cinematographers that went around helping different unions and different, you know, departments making that transition. Mm. So it was very important that we learned as they were learning because the lenses were different. The lighting was different. We had to change products that digital, you see things that you can't see to the naked eye on film because film has that more dreamy like quality where digital, the pixels make it so crisp that you can't hide anything. You know, football games look great on digital. Uh, The ocean looks great. Nature, (laughs) not people, not necessarily (laughs) look great on digital. So we had to come up with a lot of new techniques. Yeah, and it, it, that was a it was a really interesting time coming out of special effects makeup. Even even I, you know, things even blood had the the color of blood became an issue. Right, Sp- right. Speaking, speaking of blood, uh, you worked on Kill Bill one and two for Mister Tarantino, and blood was a big factor. Blood was a huge factor. I got yelled at because I grabbed the wrong color blood. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, I obviously uh, Tarantino has a longstanding relationship with K&B, the effects company. And I had heard, and I don't know if this is true, that Quentin wanted different kinds of blood throughout the film, that he was looking at various bloods from Chinese movies and Japanese movies because there's there's different kinds of blood. Was that something that that did that affect you at all? Oh, absolutely. Um, The knives had to have a specific blood that can be made because the blood it had, it couldn't coagulate. It couldn't, it would beat up. So they had to make a very specific blood and the color of the blood, the brightness of the blood had to be very, very specific. And then there was other bloods that we, we would use on clothing and then other bloods that would be used on skin. So it was very important to Quentin. He's, very meticulous about that. And when we got back from China to the States, the blood had been packed and it ended up on, I think the prop truck. And I was sent back to go get it. And I didn't grab the one on the prop truck. I grabbed the one on the makeup truck. And so I grabbed the wrong one and I paid the price. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it was fine. It was fine. You know, look at you take it. You just take it. Right. That's what you do. You just take it and you move on. So. <laughs> now, being that I am a, a massive Star Trek fan, I guess that's kind of even an understatement for me to say massive Star Trek fan. I'm it's my my it's my religion. <laughs> I would be I would be remiss if I did not ask you about your time working on Star Trek. Oh, that that was the best. I uh, worked. I met Michael Westmore through a hairdresser that I had worked with on a show in the, on a film in New York with Danny Aiello, and she. I told her how much I wanted to get into that world and that genre, and how Michael Westmore, you know basically framed my childhood with land of the lost and all of those characters that, you know, from all those different shows and Marshall, I, Will and I, Holly, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I went in to meet him and I had tears in my eyes. I was like, Oh my God, I can't believe I'm actually sitting here talking to you. And he became one of my greatest mentors. He's such a nice man too. Oh, amazing. And his, his family, his, you know, Marvin, his brothers and, and Monty, uh, I had the opportunity to work with all of them and, and, you know, their children, they're just uh, an amazing, amazing family and incredibly talented. And I was so grateful to have that opportunity. And I started on next generation. I was there for three and a half years. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an amazing, that cast was amazing. And the things that you got to do, I mean, you know, how many, how many makeup designs did they come up with? I mean, you guys, what was it like you know, when working on that, that was back when when it was interesting because Star Trek was the first show. The next generation proved that syndication could work, mm-hmm. that first run dramatic. And 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 Star Trek, people forget it was huge in syndication. And you were doing 26 episodes a season back then. Mm-hmm. Not not now. It's like well, eight or 10, 13. If you're doing a lot on a streaming show, what was it like? I mean, the 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 pace had to have been pretty tough and you had all kinds of prosthetics and mm-hmm. two of your principal cast, whether it was Brent Spiner or, or, or Michael Dorn had to spend hours in the makeup trailer every single day. Right. What was that? Was that show? Did it have that? Was the pace rigorous? Was it a lot of work? It was a lot of work. There were times when, you know, Michael though is so organized and, uh, creative that you know he he had that show it was a well-run machine right you know and there was the trailer and then there was the upstairs lab and so I would go back and forth from the makeup trailer to the upstairs lab depending on who I was doing at the time and there were times when what he would do basically is he would say put these pieces together and make this alien and paint it this color. And then once that person was done, they would go uh, up to Rick uh, Berman's office to get approval. Hmm. And if Rick was like, yeah, that's great, then that was gonna be the next alien. If Rick was like, nah, I don't know about this. Can you change some <laughs> things? It would go back and things would be changed. And, you know, but I'm telling you that was one of the most well-oiled run machines. It was amazing. I would go in sometimes at two o'clock in the morning to get some of these pieces out of, you know, the prosthetics out of the oven because they were foam pieces Yeah, and they still smelled of sulfur as we're putting them on people's faces, you know, two and a half hours later, because we were going through so much because those shows were huge. They had huge casts and huge background numbers. And Michael just, you know, had it down where sometimes we would have two crews. Uh, we would come in in the morning and there would be the, the crew that would put the makeups on. And then there would be the removal crew at night because we had to have a, a, a certain amount of hours turnaround before we could go back the next day. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. But I, I still... Mean- I still to this day work with Jonathan Frakes all the time. And uh, he, he's just such a, such a joy. And I'm, I'm so happy for him because all of the shows, he's still continuing in that genre and directing. 
Yeah, I mean, he played Riker again in Star Trek Picard, and he's been directing episodes of the new right. series Strange New Worlds, and right. he's uh, he's had quite the career as a um, as a TV director as well. Right. I mean, he right. does a ton of work. Right. Um, well, on on Star Trek, you were you you met uh, somebody that we have in common, which is William Shatner. Right. And <laughs> um, you were on Generations, and right. um, then you did some work for him specifically on his star trek memories documentary and and uh the captain's log documentary he did what was it like working with shatner and i've heard you you have a shatner story to tell oh well i did yeah these retrospectives with all of the the crew from the original star trek cast and so that's how i i met william shatner and you know he's he's a legend himself and I just so respect him and he's, he's just the consummate professional and yep. is so smart and so witty that, you know, it's just, he's such a pleasure to be around. And, you know, he had a lot of, uh, you know, some of his own personal makeup artists as mm -hmm. well on certain projects. So there were projects when I would do them and other projects when I wouldn't, but um, so I, it was, I believe the Twin Peaks year that we were nominated for the Emmys and we were at the party. I had just lost again. I was starting <laughs> to become the Susan Lucci. Of, oh no. Yes. Of Emmy nominations and oh, no. not winning, which is fine. I mean, listen, to be nominated is truly an art, an, an honor because you are recognized by your peers. And that to me is, is, you know, the highlight of, of my career to be recognized like that. And William Shatner was sitting behind me at the party on these couches. And I'd had a couple of cocktails in me by that time. <laughs> and I got up and I walked over, he was with his wife at the time. And I walked over and I said, Mr. Shatner, I don't know if you remember me. My name is Debbie. I'm a makeup artist. I met you, you know, through Michael Westmore on Star Trek, blah, blah, blah. And he, you know, he kind of, he's like, you know, yes, you know, of course I remember you. And I said, I just lost my umpteenth Emmy. Uh, I think that was nine oh. at that nine or 10 at that <laughs> point. And I said, it would be, the honor of my night, if I could take a picture with you, because then I would truly feel like a winner. And he said, get over here. <laughs> <laughs> and he took a picture and it's on my uh, Instagram page. Oh, I will, well, since you brought that up, you are on Instagram. Where can people follow you on Instagram? At Debbie Zoller Makeup. Oh, okay, good. Pretty, pretty simple. <laughs> now, when you when you worked on the practice, was he on the practice then? Did he come back or was that? No, that was no, before. that was, yeah, that was. Because uh, he came in later. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cameron um, Mannheim brought me onto the practice. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I, she was great on that show. She was. She was yeah. so, she was so great. Yeah. But then you've also worked on, on, you know, I'm curious, you worked on Pirates of the Caribbean mm -hmm. uh, at World's End, which I'm a huge fan. That was the third movie. Mm -hmm. And I'm a huge fan of that film. And 
in those movies, they did a lot of, well, they, I guess you'd call it CG makeup. There was a lot of makeup that was put on to the creature effects and things like that. Did you do any kind of, of prosthetic work or, or uh, special effects makeup on that? I don't, I don't quite, I uh, just know that you worked on it, but that film right. in particular, those movies did some really groundbreaking stuff yes. using both practical physical effects makeup and CG, CG right. makeup for, it was like the first time right. they did that was what was there anything is there anything on that show that stood out to you or what was it like working on that oh that i worked on uh pirates two and three because they shot them at the same time mm. and, and v neil was the department head and yep. the designer uh joel harlow uh was her like right hand man yeah and he came up with many of the designs on that as well and I was lucky enough to be able to be a hired gun on that show and was going back and forth doing Johnny's doubles and hand drawing all of his tattoos that Johnny wow. has onto all of his doubles. There is a scene where he's in a dream and there's all these different, you know, um, I, I, I want to say Johnny's, you know, uh, <laughs> right. his character all over the boat that he's talking to and interacting with. And all of those people were, uh, had to be done from head to toe to look exactly like him. So I start, I was doing that. I was doing a lot of the pirates. Um, I was doing a lot of the doubles. Um, Stellan who had all the, uh, the shells and everything in the barnacles. Uh, I was helping doing his double and many of the other pirate doubles. Um, right. I had a mushroom man that was sitting uh, in those baths, which was amazing. That was growing moss on him. And uh, yeah, we were doing lots of, lots of different makeups. That's what I mean by it's great to be able to do, to jump from one aspect to another. Um, and V was the one that, you know, trusted me with um, uh, the, the different pirates that came for that big meeting. Right. The one there was the female Asian one that had that was blind. So we put contacts in her and I, I was in charge of her makeup. And then the other one who I call the schnauzer, he had this big beard that in the wind it would look he would look like a schnauzer. So, um, you know, it was it was such a that was such a huge learning curve, especially with with um the guys that would come up out of the water, like the hammerhead and those guys were CG. Right. But there were quite a few that, you know, we were putting prosthetics on and. Yeah. I mean, and they were huge. Those are huge shows, huge, huge. all yeah. kinds of. And they would combine them. Sometimes there would be spots where, you know, the green fabric for green screen would be incorporated into the makeup. So, yeah. you know, it really, that was one of the, best experiences i loved working on those movies yeah i mean the 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 third one especially the the just the fantasy sequences and the things that they mm -hmm. i mean if, if, the dreams i had when i was a little kid were put on screen in that specifically that third film i mean i right. i love the and what they did i mean it was really groundbreaking i mean not right. they don't do a lot a lot of that as much as they like the bill nye character and all that stuff that they were doing with the Davy Jones and all that stuff. Right, I mean, it is right. incredible, incredible groundbreaking right. work. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. Has, has your job 
changed over the years or has it stayed pretty much, I mean, has makeups and, and the technology and, you know, there's a lot more CG than there used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, have things changed or have they pretty much is, has your job pretty much stayed the same? I would say my job has gotten harder mm. over the years because, Why is that? well, especially with COVID um, I'm doing a, a lot of other jobs at the same time as trying to department head and be a makeup artist. I, I have to, you know, schedule COVID testing and travel flights for people. <laughs> and uh, I have to be an accountant now. And it, I find it, it's very difficult to be, you know, moving those hats all over the place and still trying to be creative because I get so bogged down with the business side of everything. So, you know, trying to juggle all of those things at the same time is uh, not easy. Uh, So my job has definitely gotten harder, especially because scripts have gotten bigger. And so now you've got a lot more on your plate than, you know, I would say 20 years ago. Wow. um, but again, it's still, you know, I, I still have passion for it. I still enjoy it. It's just now things are, things are a little different, um, in the aspects of, of what's expected of, of a department head or a designer, or even a hired hand as a makeup artist. Um, the, the, the job it, itself though, in terms of of the relationship you have with actors. And like you said, building that kind of trust that hasn't changed much though, has no. it? No. Yeah. You no. st- it, <laughs> I would imagine yeah. actors are eternal in terms yeah. of yeah. what they're, Thank what God. they're like. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> no, I, that's the thing that I, that keeps me coming back are those relationships and the creativity and to see those characters come alive. You know, you, you look at an actor and you think what they're doing is so subtle. How is that, how is that going to read? And then you see it in dailies or on film and you're, it's amazing how they make everything come to life. Right. Absolutely. Now there's other movies. I, I, you worked for Marvel on Thor, the dark world. Oh yeah. I was hired, uh, for that was yeah that was uh alan's uh film um i was hired to do the reshoots because they shoot most of the marvel projects in um atlanta yeah and my friend douglas no who works with tom hiddleston was doing the reshoots and called me in to uh help him with the zach levi character right so yeah and to do some of the doubles and things like that. Yeah. And then you also went from that to the Hunger Games. Right. And there's, right. A, there's a lot. Of, I would imagine that when you get into the city, when Pen that mm-hmm. there's a lot of, especially the, all the different, like the Stanley Tucci character. Was there, was there a lot of fun makeups to do on Hunger Games? Well, for Hunger Games, I was the supervisor for the crowd. So I had oh, wow. 1,500 background. Oh and God. 45 makeup artists that I was in charge of. So I had to make sure that everybody got on the bus in the mornings and that we all made it there accordingly. And to get 1500 background through the works every day. And 
to make sure that those makeups were what V Neal, who was the designer yep. of the, of the film, uh, you know, made sure that I had to make sure that those designs were according to her instructions. So that is, I mean, how do you manage something like that? Um, <laughs> you, you, you know, luckily, um, I had, we had amazing artists and they, you know, the fact that I respect them and what they bring to the table, they respect me to, for what I bring to the table and making sure that everybody's taken care of, that people are fed, that they, you know, have water, that they have the tools that they need, that they have, you know, the photos, uh, references that they need. It's all a part of it. So if mm -hmm. you take care of them, they will take care of you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then the the you you also worked on uh, Mockingjay as well the the mm -hmm. second one so was that the same thing were you working with was V Neil on that as well Yes V was also on that and Nicoletta the same um, I was one of just the regular background makeup artists on that and had a great time and so that I think that's one of the reasons why they called me back uh, mm. to help run the background when they needed it Now you also one of the one of my favorite TV shows. I mean, I know you worked on things like Fosse Verdon. I thought that was, I'm a huge Bob Fosse fan. You know, I'm, I'm, I love, I love that. The, so that was a, it was great to all that jazz is one of my favorite movies and they dealt Amazing. with the making yeah. of that and the, and the film and then uh, pitch the pitch perfect movies. Yeah. You know, what were those like to work? Those had to, were those a hoot for you? Well, I only did the first one. So um, I, I loved that movie again, because it was fresh. It was new. There wasn't anything out there like it. All no. of those girls, you know, they just came together as a girl group and just grew together to be the closest of friends. And, you know, I'm lucky because that film really helped kind of change the trajectory of my career in that respect where I was, I was doing a lot of um, character work. I was doing a lot of period shows and this was modern day. Right. And contemporary. So it was nice to be able to do something modern day that was, that was also timeless in that respect. And, you know, Jason, the director who I love Jason Moore um, we just did a film together last year, uh, 10 years later now, um, <laughs> called shotgun wedding it's the it's another movie with j-lo and uh we were in the dominican republic and we had a great time so you know it's just so nice to be with people and i'm going to be doing another movie with rebel uh soon in the next few months so um it's just really nice to be able to to have those people you know still in my life yeah when you're on a movie like pitch perfect because you're dealing directly with the actors, do you get a sense that the movie is going to be good? Can Absolutely. you tell? Absolutely. I would imagine because that's where it's sort of that energy begins with you, you know, yeah. the seeing the actors. Because, you know, I, even me, I thought the first Pitch Perfect was delightful. Yeah. And it must, I just can't imagine how much fun it would have been with that cast. It was. It really, yeah. really was. Yeah, I, I really, I really enjoyed it. I worked hard on that movie. It was it was great. We shot it in uh, Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So, yeah. Um, in the heat. And, you know, it was it was but it was great. And all these girls were just 
fabulous. And I, I didn't know Rebel prior to that. And we just clicked. And Anna Kendrick, who's amazing and oh. so talented. Both of them are two of my favorite comedic performers. Yeah. I mean, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And watching Rebel Wilson's transformation herself, her physical transformation on social media has been a great inspiration. Amazing. She, I'm telling you, is one of the hardest working actors out there. It, it, she's just amazing. She, set, she puts her mind to something and she does it. You know, she is just an incredible role model, I think, for people in this industry. And I, I'm just I'm really I'm just proud of her. I'm so proud of her. She's also such a gifted comedic performer. Her timing and her is just impeccable. I mean, she right. really <laughs> she's terrific. Right. Um, so, again, like when you when you develop these relationships with actors and you can continue to work with them over over the years, I mean, that's got to be a perk that not other not a lot of other jobs have that kind of of perk you know and is do you find that those ongoing relationships are they beneficial to you absolutely not only with actors but producers directors that's you know that's how you get hired that's how you sustain a a career a, a now like for me of 30 years is right you know it's it's like contractors where you know they if you're good if you're a good contractor they recommend you to other friends you know and you help them build their house and that's what I kind of feel like for me is uh that I get recommended from other people and that's how I've I've just sustained this career which is crazy for 30 years that's amazing yeah <laughs> now do you do you have uh, as opposed to beauty makeup, as opposed to special effects makeup, do you have a preference or do no. you like both? Yeah. Just... No, I, I like both. I like combining both. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I, I look, I love, you know, I grew up reading Fangoria magazine and that was really, right. it was an ad. It was basically about makeup effects artists, you know, right. it was, and uh, it was great to one day make a film that actually did get in the pages of Fangoria. I'm like, well, now I've really, Oh, that's big. You made it. Yeah. I'm like, they did like a five page spread and I'm like, yeah, wow. yeah show that. Um, wow. were, were you like, what, what were some of your influences? Were you a movie fan growing up? Absolutely. I loved going to the movies. I mean, Jaws was probably one of my favorites. American Werewolf in London. Which um, won the first Oscar for makeup effects. Right. Right. Um, let's see what else. Uh, Young Frankenstein, one of my sure. favorites. Beetlejuice, I loved. Uh, Blade Runner, I thought was amazing. Yeah. Um, that probably was one of the biggest influences. And uh, Xanadu, I love. Because I, I love horror, I love suspense, and I love musicals. Sure. You know? I, 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 like the, I like the kind of the guy movies more than like... Con Air, you know, Crimson <laughs> Tide, um, the chick flicks. I'm not, you know, I'm like, yeah, right. I, you know, they're okay. But, you know, I, I like the ones that give me a little more you yeah. know, explosions. <laughs> the so the Simpson Bruckheimer school of movie making, right. Crimson Tide and, and Con Air. And right. yeah, I mean, hell, I'm looking forward to Top Gun Maverick. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm excited to see that one, too. Yeah. <laughs> if we ever get to see it. You know, I know. fingers it. crossed. They I made know. it like six years ago, seven years. <laughs> so uh, God, no. 
Are we ever going to get it? Yeah. Is there yeah. is there a project that you it, what what would be a dream project for you that you have yet to work on? Oh my god, that's a very good question. Um, hmm. I don't know if I can answer that. Right. <laughs> I mean, there's there's so there's so many. I mean, you know, the Marvel movies are amazing. Um, you know, I would love to do like uh, a James Bond film. Right. You know, I love the thought of traveling the world and filming. One of the best parts of our job is being able to experience, you know, different cultures, uh, trying to work in, in, say, like the Dominican Republic that doesn't really have the infrastructure. Right. Necessary. You can't get things in and out. You know, you know, it's not like Amazon can just deliver to the Dominican Republic. So, you know, you have to figure out ways to be creative and get things that you need to, uh, you know, suffice and, and achieve the same purpose. So sure. I think, you know, all of those are challenges in that respect. So I love the idea of like, a, a No Time to Die, a James Bond film where it travels the world. Um, there was a show that I watched on Netflix called Sense8. Oh, yeah, the Wachowskis. The Wachowskis. And Michael Straczynski. Yes. And that to me was amazing because how they had to film all those scenes in one country and yeah. then move to another country and go back and do other scenes that matched at the same time. So things like that, I think, are really are the challenges that I would love. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that would be fantastic as, yeah. as sense eight. It's funny. I, too, when I watch that, I'm like, my God, this must have been logistically a difficult production. I can't even imagine. I can't yeah. even imagine. Yeah. Well, now let me ask you this, you know, in a world now where people are using Instagram filters all the time and how how can somebody get into the business if you if you are interested in becoming uh, working in, in makeup effects or or beauty makeup what would you advise people to do to begin a career like that well i think now you have to have an education first you know i i think what's interesting is that the the instagram makeup artists have brought an attention to being a makeup artist that we never quite had before and then you had shows like Face Off that brought right. special effects makeup artists uh, to the forefront, uh, which is new for us because we're so used to being behind the camera. So that that has really kind of given the focus now and a spotlight on what we do. And when I tell when people call me and they say, you know, my daughter wants to be a makeup artist, would you mind, you know, talking to her? mentoring her whatever or him i always say that you have to be on the same playing field to play with these other artists you have to go to school you have to have an education and so they're like well because i went to college and then went to makeup school right you know i don't know if you necessarily need to still do that or not i would never tell somebody not to go to college um, I think college prepares you for, I mean, that's how I started in this career. 
Um, it, pre it prepares you for your future. Um, but also going to a makeup school gives you uh, a skill. And so just like you go to an auto mechanics school, you go to a makeup school that teaches you how to be a makeup artist. So I know V has started her new school, uh, Legends, um, in North Hollywood. And so I tell a lot of people, you know, go to cinema, go to Legends, go to MUD, um, because those are the kids that have graduated and are currently working now. Mm. So you need to be on that same playing field. Doing makeup on yourself on Instagram is one thing. But getting paid to do makeup on somebody else is a whole different job. Right. And it's uh, there. It, it also, you have to know as a makeup artist, you've got to be a therapist. You have to know psychology. Right. You know, you, you, you are dealing with, you know, actors, of course, are not the most stable people in the world. <laughs> and they, they are, uh, there's a lot of, they're in high pressure environments and, you know, right. their job is they got to look good and you're actually painting on their faces in the morning when they who knows what's happened to them the night before or whatever. And right. that's something else. I mean, you and also to work in film, you have to understand how to work with all different kinds of people. Right. I've always liked movie sets because they're a microcosm. You've got the blue collar workers. You've got the white collar workers. You've got the the elite producers, <laughs> right. you know, and, and, and then you have all people of all walks of life. That's why I love the sort of traveling gypsy caravan that is production. Right. And it's like, unlike any other profession in the world, but you have to, you have to know how to deal with people. Right. We are the traveling circus, but with a better dental plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, I mean, this has been such a fun, it's been such a fun conversation talking with you. Um, you said you were on social media already. So we know that, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to ask you, you do have a project coming up, which is uh, Noah Baumbach's White Noise, which is an adaptation of Don DeLeo's book. And I'm a huge fan of, of his work. Uh, is there anything you can tell us about White Noise? Because it's one of my most eagerly awaited movies that's cool. coming out. I don't, I mean, you know, those 10 page NDAs that we sign, right. I have to be very careful of, but um, I know that it, you know, it's already out there. It stars Adam driver and yeah. Greta Gerwig and uh, this amazing German actor named Lars Eidinger, who's fantastic and such a joy to work with as is Greta and Adam and Noah, you know, was, is, is a true visionary. And that was one of the hardest movies I think I've ever done. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was um, about five months. I had the uh, pleasure. And the, the reason why I took the movie in the first place was to be able to work with Ann Roth, the costume designer, mm -hmm. who uh, is a huge legend. And I, I'm so grateful for the opportunity to be working with her. And she and Noah and Greta are really good friends. So when, you know, Anne and I talked on the phone, I was in the Dominican Republic and she was like, okay, you're going to do this. And then she passed me, you know, through to, to Noah and Greta. And, and I, I'm really looking forward to seeing, cause that film, it was shot so beautifully. 
I'm very excited to see the final result. Oh, me too. Just because I adored that book. I mean, that book really blew me away when I read it. Yeah. And I didn't it, expect it, was it to. Very heavy. It was yes. very heavy. <laughs> it's very heavy. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm I'm just it's interesting to see him tackle that material. So I'm just really excited that well, one that you worked on it and yeah. two that it got made at all. I know. I was when I I still get goosebumps. When I read that script, I was actually shocked. I was like, who's gonna want to see this? You know, um, because it it is a heavy makes you think. Uh and I don't want to, I don't want to spoil anything. So when no. people see it, um, it, but it is, uh, I think it's very timely. I think it's a very timely project for where we are now in, Absolutely. in this world. So, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that you, uh, are looking forward to it. Oh yeah. I mean, when I heard it was getting, cause you know, there's so many books you think, oh, they're never in this, especially in this day and age. Yeah, where it's all comic book movies or it's uh, which I love, by the way, and all different kinds of IP, a book like White Noise, I would think uh, maybe a streamer would make it or something. But to see to see that Noah Baumbach got to make this because I'm sure it was a passion project for him for. Yeah, he didn't just decide, well, I'm going to go make this book now. No, he had to have wanted to do it for a long time. Absolutely. And And Noah was the perfect person to tackle this. Yeah. you know, he he's similar to like a Spielberg or uh, Quentin Tarantino, where there's no phones allowed on set. Um, we weren't even allowed to have a monitor. So it was, you know, he wanted you to be completely focused and absorbed onto what we were shooting on set that moment, that day. Mm. that month you know um he didn't want any distractions so it you know it was it it was difficult in in those terms because if i don't have a monitor i can't see what you know if i have to change anything right so uh you know i really had to stand next to the camera for a second i would do like you know, kind of a drive-by so I didn't get in trouble um, and and go, okay, well, everybody looks great. And then I would step aside and just pray. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, uh, <laughs> I don't yeah, but I, I then started going to dailies and sitting with the, with Anne and uh, the editor and watching everything to make sure that everything was okay. So, but again, the DP Lowell was so amazing. Uh, He, he just brought such beauty to every set that um, I could actually exhale after a certain point. Right. Right. Well, I'm excited. And then of course you do have shotgun wedding. You mentioned that the movie you were in the Dominican Republic. Right. Right. Which is great with Josh Dumel and um, uh, Jennifer Coolidge. Who can do no wrong. Oh my God, she's brilliant. And Darcy Carden and just, uh, yeah, an amazing cast. Amazing, amazing cast. Yeah. Cheech Marin. Oh, really? Yeah. I I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. And of course, Jennifer Lopez. Yeah, of course. Of course. Who is stunning. 
I mean, I, I caught myself staring a couple of times. I had to like, you know, go Debbie, <laughs> stop staring. Cause she, I mean, she's just beautiful. beautiful. Yeah. No, she's amazing. And she's, you know, ever since I saw her in, in Soderbergh's out of sight, right. I've been a fan of her as an mm-hmm. actress. I, mm-hmm. I think that she, in a way, uh, it was unfortunate, like what happened to her, I think, because she was in Geely, I thought that was, and I'm a huge Martin Brest fan that sort of derailed both Ben Affleck and, and Jennifer Lopez's career. And it's nice to see them both coming back and, oh. and be, because I think she's a phenomenal actress. Right. And right. it's like, I'll watch this. I don't know what I, I don't know anything about this movie other than I knew it was getting made, but right. I'll see it just because of her. Right. Well, that's the thing. I think, you know, everyone has those, that one project in their past that they were like, Oh, I did it for the money or, Oh, I, I, you know, didn't have anything else. You know, my phone wasn't ringing, you know, there wasn't anything else. So we all have those, that one project that you kind of go, Oh, but I mean, it was Martin breast. I mean, the man made the man made, um, uh, Beverly Hills cop. And, you know, he made meet, meet Joe black. There's one other project that I just realized that I wanted to ask you about. Hmm. You worked on a Vim vendors movie. Yes. And Vin Vendors made Wings of Desire, which is one of my favorite films of all time. But what was it like working on Million Dollar Hotel? That was that was really interesting. Um, David uh, Lynch is good friends with Vim. Yeah. And Vim needed a crew because he didn't know anybody out here. So basically, David gave Vim his whole crew. And so we went and we worked on it was downtown, downtown Mm -hmm. L.A., uh, shooting a lot of nights and we were at this hotel that was basically abandoned but there were some you know low income people living in it so we had to wear hard hats because they would throw uh, baby diapers at us filled with oh no stuff and uh, needles that you know were used um, because we were keeping them awake at night, you know, with the lights and the noise. And so, uh, it was a difficult project to shoot, but Vim again, you know, with just such a beautiful project and Peter, the DP and, and it, it just looked stunning. It was every frame was a painting. It really was. Yeah, it's an interesting film, and and what a, again, you've worked on these big movies with incredible casts, yeah, Mel ensemble. Gibson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but great stuff. Well, listen, Debbie Zoller, I want to thank you. This is a great interview. I want to thank you for uh, being on the Designing Hollywood podcast. What a delight it has been to speak with you. Thank you so much. It's been my pleasure going down memory lane here. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you very, very much. It, thank uh, you. I really appreciate it. And thanks to our sponsor, the United American Costume Company. Since 1977, the American Costume Company has provided wardrobe for hundreds of motion picture and television projects. Their authentic collection is known worldwide to members of the industry and is easily distinguishable on screen. The United American Costume Company can dress your entire cast with an eye for detail and authenticity. A special thanks to our producer and founder, Martika Ibarra, and of course, our co-founder, legendary costume designer, Marilyn Vance. Thank you to all of our viewers for tuning in and be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit that notification button. 
and you can find the Designing Hollywood podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Also on iTunes. Follow me, Robert Meyer Burnett, on Instagram, on Twitter at BurnettRM, or find me on my own YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. Thanks for watching. We very much appreciate it.